Hey dog people of the internet, welcome to Cog Dog Radio, a podcast all about dog sports, behavior, and training. I'm your host, Sarah Stremming of the Cognitive Canine, and I can't wait to share my behavior cases, training revelations, and general geekery with you. Let's get started. Hey everybody, today I'm here to talk about a very common truth in all of dog sports, and I am saying all of dog sports. It is true. It's certainly true in agility. It's very true in obedience, but it's true in all the other sports too. And I, every time I try a new sport, I'm proven right on this. And recently I've been proven right on it as well, just again, um, in the confirmation ring showing Raya. And the truth is that the best trained dog wins a lot of the time. Certainly not all of the time, but having a well-trained dog gives you an instant leg up on your competition. And if you're saying, well, I'm not competitive, a lot of things in dog sports aren't based on competition. Uh, All agility titles in AKC are not competitive titles. There isn't a single title that's what I would call truly competitive. Um, the time to beat title, like, yes, you get it faster if you win, you know, there's little things like that. But in general, it's not a, there aren't competitive titles the way they are in confirmation or obedience, um, or some of the other sports. And still, those highly, highly trained dogs, those are the dogs that are winning. And when you look at like a national event, which is competitive, once again, the dog that is beautifully trained, is the dog that's going to come out on top. Now, of course, there are going to be beautifully trained dogs who don't win. And so that's hard sometimes for people to swallow. But the truth is that when somebody is winning really consistently, usually their training is there too. So this is a common thread, even in sports that aren't considered about training. So the confirmation ring, which is a sport that I've recently kind of dipped my feet into with my little Raya, my Icelandic sheepdog, is not considered to be about training. It's considered to be about the dog itself, the the dog's type, the dog's structure, the dog's movement. Everybody recognizes that handling matters. If handling didn't matter, then we wouldn't pay so many professional handlers in this country to show our dogs. So handling certainly matters. The dog certainly matters, but your training matters too, because if your dog is not beautifully trained to allow for the judge's exam, trained to gate the way that they are supposed to, trained to maybe free stack or allow hand stacking and stay still while all of that happens, then they're harder to judge. And if they're harder to judge, then maybe the judge isn't going to put them up, right? So I'm not going to speak about confirmation like I'm any kind of expert because I'm not. But when I decided to show Rhea, I decided two things. I decided that she would be as prepared as I could make her for that ring before she ever stepped into it. Meaning she would know what that picture was. She would know what that looks like and she would know what's expected of her. And she would, and when I say what's expected of her, she would know what the path to reinforcement was. I needed her to know that. And then also I did what I always do. And I asked an expert to help me. 
that's a newer one for me. I've been in dogs a really long time and kind of been expected to figure stuff out for a really long time, especially when I wasn't footing the bill, like when my parents were, when I was a kid and I was showing dogs, they were paying. So it's not like I could just phone up, you know, whatever the expert was that I wanted to learn from like I can now. And social media also didn't exist when I was first showing dogs. And so that made those people less successful to me anyway. But I asked an expert, uh, you know who you are. Thank you very much for your help. And I trained. And then I did, and she, Rhea's adding some input here because we are talking about her first show. And Rhea did remarkably well at her first show. Remarkably well. Better than I expected, better than probably anybody else did. So that whole training thing once again paid off. And I had a really nice person who I've been friends with on Facebook with for a long time comment on the fact that she's clearly trained and that made me feel better than anything else that I had heard about her all weekend because it meant so much to me that somebody recognized that she was trained for the job at hand it's important to me so but here's the other thing if you're going Sarah I train all the time I train every week I train twice a week whatever I'm not winning whatever sport we're talking about practicing is not the same thing as training. Okay, so if you go to your agility class and you practice running a 20 obstacle sequence and when something goes wrong, you stop and you try to fix it, but in general, you're practicing, you're not training, you're practicing. If you go to your handling class for confirmation once a week and you're just trotting the dog around, you're standing them on the table, you're whatever, you're practicing, not training. What is the difference? Well, Actual training is going to be goal oriented. You know what you're trying to get get from what it is you're actually doing. There's going to be planning involved. You're going to look at any given session and go, okay, here are my goals based on some problems that showed up for me. And this is how I'm going to try to tackle them today. And I'm going to stop and reevaluate constantly. So that's what training looks like. So if I am training for say I was training Rhea to allow me to show her teeth to the judge on the ramp that the Icelandics are shown on. I worked all of the pieces, all of the component parts of that behavior. I worked loading the ramp, being hand stacked on the ramp. And I worked a start button for of putting my her muzzle straight into my hand when I said the word teeth. I worked that whole piece. I even had a judge this weekend grab her face and look at her lips herself, lift her lips herself and look at the teeth um, because I obviously didn't do it adequately. And because of all of the prep work I had done and Brea's great temperament, that went okay for us. But if she, I saw just a lot of dogs that really struggled with that piece. And I feel for those handlers because God, what are you supposed to do? The dog's on the ramp. The dog's saying, Ugh, I don't think I want you to look at my teeth. What do you, what are you, are you just going to let the dog jump off the ramp and leave? that's really a lot of pressure to put on a handler to do, right? So we worked those component parts when I saw that we needed to work those component parts. Same with like Felix's obedience routine right now. We're working really hard, the component parts of the command discrimination exercise for open, as well as some of the component parts for the in-between spaces in in the ring. So the transitions from this sit-stay to this sit-stay each of them leading to different exercises. Like you've got a sit stay that leads to the drop on recall. You've got a sit stay that leads to the retrieve. These are different sit stays, 
with different precursors that give my dog different feelings. And so I'm working those component parts. I am not walking into a ring and practicing a full open sequence. That's not something I do. If I do that, it's because it's a test. I'm asking the dog, what are the component parts that I need to break out and polish up? And I'm always asking that in, in that kind of test format. Speaking of testing, testing is a big part of training, but it can't be most of your training because if it's most of your training, then you're just practicing. So for me, a show, a trial is always a test, always a test. It doesn't matter how well I think the dog is trained. It's not training. It's testing. Okay. So I ran Felix in agility this past weekend as well. And he showed me that staying in the weave poles when there was a tunnel screaming in his face at the end of the weave poles was a component part that needs to be broken out and worked on. So you bet it is going on the training list and I'm going to train it. And I actually actively trained it using the fix and go option that we now have in AKC on the last day of the trial, which is something that I had pre-thought out before I went in to the ring. Don't do that on the fly, right? So again, that's all part of this being in my practice to train, test, and go back to training and not practice at all. So if you're not winning, you're not meeting your goals, or you're not really sure why, probably the answer is that training equals winning. And what you might be doing instead of training is practicing. Okay, and a few Patreon questions for us this week. First one comes from Annalise, who's asking, I wanted to ask if you had any ideas about introduction protocols for my stranger danger, Staffy Minpin Chihuahua Mix, who does like people once she quote unquote clears them. She consistently makes friends when people come on an off leash walk with us at the dog beach. She loves the environment and dogs and is able to process things and make friends with people this way. We plan to keep working on our reactivity overall, but I was curious to ask if you can think of any introduction protocols that could help her clear people in other ways. And I'm making an assumption here. This is me um, adding an aside. I'm making an assumption that clearing means she will no longer react to them. So back to Elise's, Annalise's question. We recently completed an on-leash group class that she did really well with, under threshold, almost always learned the behaviors well, but was concerned about the teacher coming closer to give feedback and would bark lunch. She recovered quickly from these reactions. Treat and retreat game was attempted by the teacher a couple of times, which stopped her barking, but she seemed conflicted with getting good treats from a stranger. So the first thing, Annalise, stop going to classes that you don't control right? So don't be involved in a group class where the trainer might go off the cuff, try some stuff like treat and retreat, things like that when they are not working for your dog. So trying to like heal reactivity on the fly within a group class, not a good idea. The person, the instructor approaching, causing a reaction, then trying to fix it afterward, very harmful to your overall process. So I would stop going to group classes unless you can control those interactions better. The other thing is that I wouldn't be forcing another way to introduce your dog to people. If you have a tried and true way that really works for her going to the beach and letting her decide that those people are safe at the beach, keep doing that. What she needs is history doing that. Lots of it. 
rather than you trying other stuff and her having these intermittent reactions, what she needs is success and she needs it in big, big numbers. She needs evidence logged in her head that she can do this successfully. And that'll be really the most important thing for you to do. All right, next one comes from Kim and Kim wrote two questions. They're based on the same topic. So I'm gonna read through both of them. And then Anya came in and read and wrote a question that's also on the same topic. So I'm gonna read three questions now. The first two are from Kim, the first is from Anya. Uh, I'm sorry, the first two are Kim, the second one is Anya. Here goes Kim. I have a working theory that I have taken too much, too many reactivity classes and that I have now sensitized Moses to dogs. Every time you speak about it, I learn so much stuff I don't hear otherwise. In your awesome discussion on the pause and reward episode 30. So um, we can link that in the notes on pause and reward. Marissa and I discussed sensitizing dogs via reactivity work. And Kim continues, you mentioned remedial socialization. Can you explain what this is and how to do it perhaps? Maybe a class. Uh, it may be the way I undo this sensitization and the way with way too much therapy. And that was a discussion I had with Amy Cook. So uh, next question is from Anya, who just says, I am also interested to hear more about remedial socialization, specifically whether you would expect to see some barkyology behaviors from reactive dogs at first, or would you orchestrate the situation so that the dogs are far enough apart for reactive dogs to be comfortable and then slowly move them together? So be sure that you both have listened to the episode on remedial socialization. I mention remedial socialization frequently, but I have a full episode on it. So do be sure that you check that one out. And then, yes, you can sensitize your dogs to other dogs by trying to therapize them all the time, which is what I talked about with Amy Cook in her episode here. Remedial socialization is just as it sounds. It's remedial exposure to other dogs that is positive. That is positive is important. It needs to be kind of neutral to positive, not negative. So that means that no, if I'm having barky lungy behaviors, I am not ready for that. I'm not ready to be asking the dog to do that, or I don't have enough space. Remedial socialization sometimes happens ha by happenstance. I've got the dog in a muzzle and we're doing off-leash exercise and a dog happens upon us and I control myself and don't panic and allow the interaction to play out with safety measures on board. I've got spray shield in my hand. The dog is wearing a muzzle, like I said. It can happen that way. It can happen through curated groups. So you have some nice dogs that you know are non-reactive that you go on a group walk with, everybody off leash. It can also happen through leashed kind of parallel slow introductions. So sometimes I'll just have two leash dogs walking parallel in a space, being calm near each other, doing downstays near each other. And if they're showing interest in doing so, and they're not showing aggressive behaviors, I'll allow them to say hello. And again, safety measures taken. I do not have an extensive course or webinar or anything like that on this yet. It's certainly something that is in the back of my mind that people ask for really frequently. It will be a monster to create. And so I am gathering the footage and you all will kind of just have to wait. But I do hope that you will check out that original episode and I do hope it answers some of your questions. Okay, and this one comes from Zach, who writes, I was wondering if you could talk a bit more about teaching that treats are a reinforcer or even training eating. Our 14-month-old rescue dog, Reggie, 
maybe a Rhodesian Ridgeback Amstaff cross will accept treats maybe 50% of the time when we're out in the world and completely rejects his slow feeder Kong boxes, et cetera, at about the same rate at home or elsewhere. He's raw fed and has tried a variety of different cuts, types of meats, but the only thing he seems to actually want to eat is cheese. Okay, Zach. So number one, you could have a veterinary issue. So number one, the dog needs to be fully, fully cleared by a veterinarian and cleared means full, sorry for Rhea's commentary, full blood panel, including thyroid and you know discussion as whether or not allergies may be in the mix here potentially acid reflux playing with maybe some acid reflux medication as a and again that's with your veterinarian on board as almost a diagnostic like maybe you don't feel good and that's why you don't like to eat and then I do hope that you'll check out the food issues episode because I do think I go through this pretty in depth but also you mentioned specifically 50% out in the world. And so I think the dog probably has some environmental sensitivities that you should be listening to. And that if he doesn't want to eat cheese, his favorite food out in the world, then he's probably too uncomfortable in that space that you've invited him into. I would be using cheese when you're out in the world because it's his favorite thing. And that's probably a tough situation for him. Also, when we're doing food-based enrichment, like slow feeders, they don't count as enrichment if the dog won't engage them. And usually what we've done is we've made them way too hard because our perception of what is hard is completely wrong. So Zach, what I want you to try next is first of all, only feed the dog cheese when you're out and about in the world. And that's next meaning after your veterinarian has been involved only feed the dog cheese when you're out and about in the world slowly introduce the idea of if you eat a piece of meat i will then give you a piece of cheese out and about in the world or in other training contexts in your house and then i would not do any puzzle feeding for the dog's actual meals and if the dog isn't eating meals reliably come back and let me know in another patreon question we will talk about that and then i would just get an egg carton and i would have it open and I would put some food, some attractive food in the egg carton that's wide open. And if the dog will eat out of the egg carton, great. I'm going to do that until the dog shows interest in the egg carton when I get it out to put food in it. And when he does, I'm going to just close it, but I'm not going to lock it. So egg cartons, you kind of flip them closed and they've got two little latches that you can lock them or not. Don't lock it, just close it. And then you can have that be the dog's puzzle toy. Like we think way too hard and we spend money on these things and we, we make them really interesting and difficult and we shouldn't, especially if the dog's not super interested in eating. Uh, best of luck to you, Zach. Next one is from Natasha. Natasha writes, any tips on teaching dogs to relax outdoors? I've inadvertently taught my six-year-old German Shepherd that outside is for busy, active times. And so he finds it very hard to relax when out in the yard with us. It's almost always moving and he's almost always moving and is running around with his holy roller toy and trying to convince us to tug or toss it to him. I realize that he's been practicing this for years, so progress may be limited. Plus, he's a working line German Shepherd, so loving to patrol and keep watch over his yard is part of who he is. We're adding a new puppy very soon. I'd like her to be able to learn to be more relaxed when he is outside. He settles beautifully in the house. So... Natasha, you're right that you've kind of produced this. You've said, this is the space that we do this in. And to flip that script on him will not be easy on him or you. If it's very important to you to do, then I would start with stationing. I would have the dog on leash 
on a station being fed for doing that. And I would do it after you've allowed the dog adequate time to move his body. When you get the puppy, if you want the puppy to be relaxed outside all the time, and again, you know, that all the time piece, you might say, well, it's okay sometimes. Well, dogs don't understand sometimes and not other times, right? So they're either the, the outside with the people is either a space to relax or not. Or you can make specific context. Maybe outside with the people sitting on the porch is a time to relax. But if people are moving around in the yard, you can run around and be wild. You have to decide, what am I okay with? Because you can't just say to them, I wish you would relax sometimes, right? That's not going to work. There's got to be very clear parameters around when the dog is expected to relax, when the dog is allowed to run around and be a maniac get that really clear in your head and then stick to it. And you will have to do active training with the dog on a leash on a station for that relaxing. They're not just going to choose it. He's not just going to choose it on his own. And when you get that puppy, have the puppy only ever be in the yard during those relaxation times with the adult dog or outside by himself, by herself. And last one this week comes from Amanda who writes, oh, And Amanda (laughs) has written me a question about training her husband, which, dear Amanda, I am not the best person to ask when it comes to training your husband, but I'm going to do the best I can to answer your question. Essentially, Amanda's got two young dogs. She and her husband were involved attending puppy classes together, et cetera. But Amanda got hooked. Amanda loves dog training and behavior. Husband likes snuggling dogs and playing with them and maybe taking them for a walk sometime. And all of that is fine, except that Amanda says, and I quote, over the four years, my thoughts on all things dog behavior, training and learning have evolved, and I'm sure they will continue to. It drives my husband crazy because he feels I keep changing the rules on him. At the same time, I don't think he wants to listen to me ramble on about everything I've learned from podcast books, classes, etc. How do I keep him up to date so their dogs can have consistency without giving him way more information than he wants or needs? So you can't, you will not keep him up to date. And you will piss him off if you keep changing the rules on him. And it's fair that he's mad about that. So here's what you should do, Amanda. Explore dog behavior. Be so excited about it. Train all you want to do. And allow your husband to continue to interact with your dogs the way that works for him. As long as it is not disastrous or detrimental or unfair or mean, right? Because the truth is, No household is totally consistent with their dogs. Every household has differences in opinion of the way that the dog should be communicated with. And if he's entertaining the idea, trying to participate at all, he's better than a lot of the non-dog spouses that that are out there in the world. So what I would do is just demonstrate for him. And when he asks you why you're doing what you're doing, then don't explain why, just tell him what, okay? So let's say you're doing smart times 50. You're catching the dog being right and you're feeding them and you're getting great responses. He might totally ignore that. Or he might say, hey, what do you, why'd you feed the dog there? Don't say why, say what? Say he looked outside, he saw a person walking past and did not bark, so I fed him. Do not tell him why, just tell him what. And that alone will probably help you. Thanks everybody for your questions. 
Thanks for listening. Please be sure to subscribe and leave me a review. If you'd like to support this podcast, head over to patreon.com slash cogdogradio. You might even hear me answer your question on the show. For more content like the stuff you heard here, check out my online courses at cog-dog-classroom.teachable.com.